Week number two, Ways for the Last Days. Anybody use their Ways app this week? Anybody? Did you think of me? More importantly, I hope you're reminded the truth of what the Ways app is for us in this series. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And we need him because we are in a, an effort from the enemy to put us under a daze. Daze means to make someone unable to think or react properly, to stupefy, to bewilder. This morning when I speak to you, I'm speaking with the understanding that there is a strong effort for a delusional spirit to come upon everybody, including the body of Christ, as the enemy is working to, to bewilder us, to to weary us, to keep us from being able to stay dialed in and focused with what the Lord's doing. I do remain thankful for the Ways app. And um, as I'm meditating and preparing these teachings, I'm coming to you this morning. Look, I, I don't want I'm not gonna give you like a wow sermon. I really want to teach you and walk you through some things this morning that I think are real strategic and helpful for us in this season. So I really want to teach and I want to speak to you as a church family rather than an audience or a crowd. I want, I want the Holy Spirit, I know he wants to deposit something in you that's going to shape you and strengthen you for the season we're in. Ways ministers to me, especially when I'm going somewhere I've never been before. Do you remember the days before the internet and smartphone when Men didn't need to do this because men are innately born with a supernatural gift to know where we're going. Can I get a witness? Um, you may have married someone who's like, they've got special needs as it relates to finding directions, but most of us are gifted. And if you don't believe it, just ask us. We have an innate ability also to be supremely confident in our natural abilities. Um, Waze is amazing. Back in the day, you'd have to pull over and ask for directions. And some redneck would say, yeah, you go down there at the second traffic light, you're gonna come to a T, take a right, then you'll see a Walmart over on the left, turn left, go about a half a mile, there'll be a, a black mailbox right there, as if that's the only black mailbox on planet Earth. And go about a quarter mile past that, and you'll see that trailer up there on the right. And you get there, and you're on vacation. And you go, wait, is, is that a right? Because that's kind of like, is that a real road? Anybody remember life before ways? I'm getting stressed out thinking about this. <laughs> and you get there, and you, all you have is an angry, unhappy marriage. It reminds me of the guy out in Phoenix who, true story, who wrote about it, who said, he was lost, but because they were on vacation, he didn't want to admit that they were lost. And his wife picked up on it, because wives have a supernatural um, discerning power. How many of you know your wives speak a language that only women speak? And they understand it. And the funny thing is, they don't even speak it. It's just like an unspoken spirit. She discerned that he was lost, but she didn't say anything. She noticed he sped up faster. A few minutes later, he got faster. She finally got the courage to ask him, honey, are we lost? He said, I hate to admit it, we are. But you got to admit, we're making good time. 
just like a man. This morning, we're going to look into the word, the book of Nehemiah, which is one of my favorite books. And there's some un, kind, of, kind of hidden truth in there that is so profound. And we're going to draw some things out of this. Um, years ago, I spoke on the book of Nehemiah, and it was actually 14 Sundays in a row. It was a 14-part series. I mean, that's not a series. That's a career and that was, 12 of those Sundays were in the first six chapters. And it's incredible, the truth that we're going to see. To understand it, though, we have to look at history and see when Nehemiah comes on the scene and helps the people of God rebuild their walls, you have to understand the miraculous, beautiful picture that God gives us of how the Holy Spirit operates in our life. The history lesson is in 606, B.C., Jerusalem is destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, levels the city, a lot like what we're seeing today in the Middle East. And it is not kind. It is not nice. It is wicked, evil, violent. And you can read about it in, in Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived it, and they were taken because they, were, they showed aptitude that if they could get reprogrammed, Nebuchadnezzar could use those sharp young men in his own evil, wicked empire. So 606, Jerusalem is just destroyed. Seventy years later, as the prophet Jeremiah said would be, 536 B.C., after 70 years of exile, key word, everybody say the word exile. After 70 years of being exiled, the first wave of Jews returned to Israel and began to rebuild the temple. 70 years of being away, there's a group of them released and they gain permission to get to go back and they start to rebuild and reconnect with God. It's important that you see that. They start with building the altar and then they build the temple. And 20 years later, in 516 BC, the temple is completed. And that's a monumental picture of them being getting a new lease on life and coming back and being rebirthed to be able to fulfill their destiny. 458 B.C., Ezra leaves Babylon to lead more people. The second waves of Jews get to go back to Jerusalem. And then in 445 B.C. is here where Nehemiah comes on the scene. And I want you to see this timeline. It's really critical to understand the profound way that God moves through Nehemiah. Nehemiah, here's the report about Jerusalem. It's concerning They've gotten it, they're back, they've built the temple, they're worshiping, they're in relationship with God, but they're still really struggling. He goes and rebuilds the wall that same year. Now everybody look here a second. After 91 years, Nehemiah gets the wall rebuilt in 52 days. And that's a picture, and we see it all through scripture, brothers and sisters, us men, we need to learn to pull over and get directions because God's way is quicker, easier, better than our own way. Decades of them not being able to recover. Decades. You're talking about a weak, poor, defeated national identity. And Nehemiah comes back 
And in 52 days, the walls are rebuilt. I don't know if this is current, but five years ago, I knew, I haven't checked recently since the last time I preached on this. Harvard MBA program had an entire class dedicated to Nehemiah's leadership strategies and the tactics that we see in these chapters in the book of Nehemiah. The temple, it's rebuilt. New lease on life, but there's no resulting power. There's only a church, a place to worship, but it has no apparent impact on the people or their nation or their world, much like we see today. Churches in the West, pre-COVID, we had more people in church than we've ever had in the history of this country, and yet we had very little power. More people, but not much power. And this is the same case for them. Their rebirth, though, is seen. We get to come out of exile, go back from Babylon. The rebirth is seen in their return, but their recovery is unseen and abundantly manifest in the rubbled mess called Jerusalem there, which, believe it or not, the city means, the name of the city means city of peace, a city that's almost never known peace because the prophecies of what God is going to do in and through Jerusalem have yet to be fulfilled, but it still lies in a mess, the city of peace. This is a picture of many brothers and sisters, many believers. They're saved, born again. They've, re they've established a connection to God, but have no resulting power to really live a fruitful, prosperous, abundant life. The city of Jerusalem, it's got a church, but there's no walls. A city with no walls is not a city. And as a people, the people of God, they illustrate the incompleteness that often besets and bewilders newborn Christians, reborn believers. Those people from Jerusalem, frustrated by their inability to restore their capital city, they depict believers who seem unable to regain control of life issues. And they're mired, stuck, mangled in their past. And like those in ancient Judea or Jerusalem, so often with us, recovery is long in coming. And so we lose heart, we lose faith, and we give up because we're convinced it's just never going to happen. But then something happened. Someone is dispatched by God to come to Jerusalem and help them in the effort to rebuild God's way. Now, two verses I want to juxtapose for us, and I want you to see. Proverbs 25, verse 28. It's a great practical verse. It says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Proverbs, Solomon says, a person without that is unable to really live. They're like a city that can't be 
a city. What is self-control? Self-control is the ability to do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, the way you're supposed to do it. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. The ability to do that comes from the Holy Spirit. And you need, listen, walls in your life, not just a connection with God. Walls for a city were like defense. It's, a, it's an identity. And I don't know if you've heard in the last five years anybody talk about the importance of walls or boundaries or borders, but they're very important. And I'm not going to go there, but it's incredible how God's word speaks to that. And it's not a matter of keeping people out or keeping people in. Listen, it's a matter of identity. Knowing who you are, knowing who you're not, knowing what belongs to you and what doesn't belong to you. Many people I know, they love the Lord. They're on their way to heaven, but they don't have walls. They, they don't know, they don't have gates. Anybody can just trample into their life and, and leave them broken, hurt. People can come and go. There's no accountability. And that's the picture of so many people without Holy Spirit that brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And all of those fruits are the things that make us effective relationally. Now, for Jerusalem in ancient cities of Bible times, the walls, that was your army, navy, air force, marines. That was your system of defense. It was protection for the city. Walls give a city identity just like self-control does for us. Boundaries are necessary. Do you know the city that they had been exiled to, Babylon? Listen to this. Daniel says in, in his book, the walls around Babylon were 380 feet thick and 100 feet high. That's some serious wall. I think both political parties would be proud of walls like that. That's, those are like, wow. So that's what they had been exiled to. Babylon, this impenetrable, mighty culture that leveled the people of God. Poor old Christians, poor old Jews going back to try and put their poor old walls up. So that's Proverbs 25. Romans 5.17 has a verse that I've mentioned many times because it's got three words that I want in your DNA, your spiritual DNA as a pastor, a shepherd. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, all the damage Adam did, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, everybody say these three words with me, reign in life. Everybody say them with me again, those three words. Reign in life. You are destined, I am destined, let's say them together, to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul says everything Adam did, how many of you know he screwed it up pretty royally? Jesus, even more, he recovered all of that and now there is a possibility to understand who we are in Christ, that we can reign in life. 
Be able to do what we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it, the way we're supposed to do it. We are able to live the abundant life, that mythical preachers talk about it. You Christian pastors, y'all talk about life, life more abundantly, whatever. It's out there and it's possible. No matter what you're going through, you're like the Jewish people who've been there for nine decades. We've given up on the wall, bro. Just be happy. They let us out of Babylon and we got a temple. We have a place to worship. You give up hope. Going, I'm going to live. I got a heartbeat. I'm going to heaven. But reigning in life, ah, that's for somebody else who was born with a silver spiritual spoon in their mouth, but not for us. Now we go back to Nehemiah. Need self-control to have walls. We have walls and live in Christ. The ability, the possibility to reign in life is there for us. Now let's go back and I want to draw out some truth. And this is where I want to pastor you this morning. I want to shepherd you. And I pray that you'll listen as I try and teach you. Just remind you of some things and teach you some things that the word says. Everybody listen. The Old Testament has been relegated and in, in we have spiritual leaders who've made it seem less important. And that's really, really bad and wrong because you can't appreciate the New Testament until you see what God has done or didn't do in the Old Testament. You really can't even appreciate Jesus and his work, the heart of God for sending Jesus unless you know the Old Testament. Everybody listen. The Old Testament, you, even you, you may be going, it's boring. Listen, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed the new testament is the old testament revealed and what we see in the old testament it it there are types and shadows and it they're so important where paul says in first corinthians he says this in chapter 10 verse 6 and verse 11 and he's talking in the first five verses about things that happen in the old testament and he says these things happened as a warning to us Five verses later, verse 11, he says, these things happened to them, those people back in the Old Testament, as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And so look here, we're not looking at Nehemiah as a matter of history. Pastors, theologians, we talk about types and shadows. Throughout the Old Testament, there are templates, types, shadows. Look at me patterns for how God does things that reveal his heart. There are symbols like the ark we talked about last week. That's, that's like a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus who would come as our ark and save us. And throughout all of scripture, there's tons of types and shadows. And as we look at Nehemiah this morning, we see a beautiful picture. Everybody listen. The word of God is I can't describe it. In fact, Psalm 119 says, there are uns the word is filled with unsearchable riches. I love, love, love the word of God. It's like a diamond. You turn it this way and you see a refraction, a color you've never seen before. The word, the Bible itself says, do you know 
For 2,000 years, people have studied it, written about it. There are things in it, layers of understanding, we still don't, we haven't even discovered. Only God could give us a document like this. And the beauty about discovering some of them is when you have, listen, when you have a divine aha, like, I have never seen that. It's better than, oh, that was obvious. I saw that. Two plus two equals four. But, but God hides in the garden. Sometimes, you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Jesus appeared to them the week after they were, the, on the weekend of the crucifixion. Jesus shows up and they don't even realize it's him. And then when they realize that's him, he disappears. Has God ever done that to you? Like, I need you. Oh, you're, you're gone. Has that happened to you? God, Graham Cook talks a lot about this. God loves for you to pursue him. He loves for you to seek him, for you to be hungry for him. And in the word, there's sometimes when you uncover a truth, listen, a divine aha, wow. It's like a personal revelation that feeds you and transforms you and shapes you. And what I'm going to present to you this morning is for what most of us will be, a, I've never seen that. Nehemiah. He comes to just help him rebuild walls. And he's got a Bible-sounding name. But most of us don't even know the name Nehemiah means the consolation of God. It's derived from Naham, which means to breathe strongly, to pity or to console. Everybody look here. It's not just a <gasps> like my dogs do when they chase the tennis ball. It is, it is this, when you are, okay, I've just gotten the news, I'm collecting my, and you go, and you know, I'm just collecting our, because I'm getting ready to take action. It's a, let's go. That's what that means. Yah, the second part of his name, is the sacred name of the Lord. Nehemiah means the consoling breath or spirit of God. Look at me. We see a full color, HD quality, Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And everything Nehemiah does to help them rebuild the wall, it's uncanny how exactly the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives. And I want you to see how Nehemiah comes to help them recover. Now, dial in, okay? This is gonna, you're going to have to listen closely. So we've got a city, some people who get to come back and see a war-torn city. First thing they do, let's build an altar. Smart, right? They didn't build a Walmart or Publix first or Lifetime Fitness. They reestablished. Then they built the, the church, the temple, Nice. That's a picture of like we are made up spirit, soul, and body. And so 
Our spirit is where we are regenerated. The Holy Spirit comes. You know, we weren't like needing help before we came to Christ. We were dead, right? Kind of like we are now. We're a little bit dead right now. We were dead. We didn't need help. We needed life. And the Holy Spirit comes to conceive Jesus in us like he did Mary, and we're brought back to life. And then that temple represented for them the spirit of who they are. They're reconnected to God. The walls were kind of like their physical identity, the thing you could see about them, their body, if you will. And you and I are, listen to me now, spirit, soul, and body. Holy Spirit comes to regenerate me. He made, made me alive, put his spirit in me. And now... My body is the part that you can see. I had it before Jesus came into my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But my soul is where I need to be restored, redeemed, made new. Everybody listen. Like every Christian, my soul is the part of me that you can't see, but it's the seat of my personality. My soul is where really you look at my soul, and it's something you can't see, but you see it, and you decide whether you like me or not. And my soul is made up of three parts, my mind, my emotions, and my will. My mind, what's that job? It's how I think. My emotions, what's the job? It's how I feel. Now, how I think controls how I feel, right? How I think, my mind, how I think controls how I feel. Y'all ready? Right? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, how I think and how I feel determines my will. What is my will? That's how I decide. That's where I make decisions. And this is the area of my soul. This is why... I need, my mind needs to be, re, I'm transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of my mind. Oh God, by your spirit, help us this morning to receive the eternal and profound truth that comes from your word. Somebody here this morning, let, 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 me, let me just keep going a second. The levels of salvation, sozo salvation, is the word for salvation. The many levels of me, there's eight different levels of me being saved. It's not, God doesn't just want to get me to heaven. He does, and I'm glad about it. But he wants to get heaven into me now. And my body, most believers struggle in the area of their, not their spirit. They're redeemed there. Holy Spirit lives in them, but they struggle in their soul. They think incorrectly. They feel incorrectly and they make terrible decisions and those decisions validate their terrible feelings which make them think even worse and worse and worse. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit to come and renew our minds so that our soul, oh, Jesus, help me. This is why counselors now, we have psychosomatic illnesses. Psycho. My mind, soma, 
my body. These are sicknesses that we can't even diagnose because we don't know what's happening in our mind. There are people having sicknesses who aren't really even sick. But the enemy has them so controlled at their soul level, they can't get any walls up. They can't keep those things that are, don't need to come in, they can't keep them out. And the things that they need in, they can't either get them in or they can't keep them from going out. And the Holy Spirit comes just like Nehemiah to say, we've got the altar, the temple, but we need some walls. And in order for us to get some walls, the mind, will, emotions of this people, we got to get everybody together, working together, so that we can get our body healthy. How many of y'all just caught a little bit of what I just taught for the last 10 minutes? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, touch us in our mind, emotions, will. More than that, transform us this morning by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name, we pray. Now, this is so important that there's a verse in the Bible that addresses it. 3 John 1, verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in, in health. How many of you not... Don't keep your hand down unless you, you're really not interested. Tell the truth. How many of you are interested in prospering? Like really, biblical prospering. How many of you want to be in good health? Right now, especially in a COVID world, right? The Bible says, may you do that even as your soul prospers. Your mind, the Bible says, basically, Really, we got to deal with your soul, the way you think, the way you feel, how you make decisions so that you can be healthy and you can prosper. Now, let's go back to the people of Israel and let's talk about this. They were exiled. Say the word exile. And this is what happens to many of us. Okay, so get the picture. Most of you know it's a long history before they got there, but this is where the book of Exodus picks up. The people of God are serving as slaves to the Egyptians for 400 plus years. God miraculously delivers them and he brings them out, which is how he does through the Passover lamb. They cross the Red Sea and they have an 11 day journey to get to the next river, the Jordan River, and then to the promised land. How long does it take them? Not two weeks. 40 years. They're delivered. They're out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of them. And instead of going God's way and refusing to pull over and get some directions or to follow the directions, they thought like I do sometimes when ways changes their mind and the route just changed. I'm like, you can't do that. I'm prepared to take Georgia 400. I'm not taking Roswell Road all the way, and I get out on exit 10, and I see gridlock. And I should have trusted ways. And we're, I wish this was, I wish y'all weren't laughing, because I want to cry. This is what I see with believers. So many of us go, God, I got it. No, you don't. And after 40 years of being stuck in that marriage, and you're out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you, and now your kids are grown and they've learned and 
And you got a mess on your hands. When if you had done it God's way, you could have been in your place of promise in 11 days. But God is so gracious, right? He's like 40 years. It's your way, but I'm going to get you there. Poor old Moses. Every one of y'all die in the wilderness. This is not your destiny. Except Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says they were of a different spirit. How many want a different spirit? They got to go in to the promised land. And God says, if you obey, you will prosper and remain in the land. But if you don't, I'm going to exile you. And the Bible says he used Nebuchadnezzar. He uses evil, wicked leaders because he's God and he's playing chess. The rest of the world's playing checkers. And God sends them into exile. How many of you know somebody? They're not sitting on your road. They're not in your family. You're not married to them, but you know Christians who are in exile. They're not in the place, the promised place. But God is so gracious. He brings them back from Babylon, out of exile, back to their place of promise. And this is what we see right here. Delivered from Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, miraculously given the promised land, then exiled for punitive reasons. The word exile means this, having been expelled and barred from one's native country, typically for political or punitive reasons. They had been exiled. Everybody look. So God sends someone, but not just anyone. He sends the Holy Spirit who happens to be a person named Nehemiah and we get a template for how God wants to work in our lives all the time, but especially in a COVID crazy world. None of us knew last Sunday what was getting ready to happen in Afghanistan. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, I can't tell you when I pray how sincerely I'm saying this. None of us know what's going to happen between this Sunday and next. And I don't even want to throw any ideas out because we're so close to fear. But the, the bottom line is, we see God give us a picture of how to come out of exile. And to live a real, fruitful, abundant life. How to reign in life. I told you, I preached this. It was a 14-week series. I'm not going to preach all of that today. But I've, I've just kind of, I feel like in prayer throughout this week, the Holy Spirit had me just grab a couple of principles. And there's four of them that I want to show you. And the first one is this. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah, we see in chapter one, as we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit hovers. We see Nehemiah hovering as he asks about his people in chapter one. Nehemiah one, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Jerusalem or Judea, with some of some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. There's a lot I could say of the parallels. How many of you want to be in the remnant? 
How many of you want to survive the exile? There's a beautiful parallels there, but verse three. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the problem, those who survived Babylon and have gone back are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, and this is, this is the, the picture of Holy Spirit going, all right. For some days I sat down and mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And you can read the rest of that. Brothers and sisters, look right here. Just like we talked about last week, Holy Spirit is hovering. He's brooding. He's waiting to be called upon for someone to activate the word of God in prayer. And what we see here is this dire situation in Jerusalem, this poor city with no walls, these people with no real identity, these people of God who are not able to be the people of God. We see Holy Spirit hovering back in Babylon going, what's happening over there? And when he gets the report, he weeps, and then he begins to fast and pray, and then he goes. It's that, here we go. Here's the word. Here's what I come to tell you this morning. Point number one. In your situation right now, Holy Spirit is hovering over your situation. He's got you on his radar. He knows what's going on in your situation he knows all about it. He knows what you have been through and what you are going through. But he comes to rescue you, to help you recover and, and live the life that God has destined for you in the place of promise. Now I want us to pause one second. How many of you are glad to know you are on his radar? How many of you receive? And you, you in the name of, let you no longer live like, don't go through another week acting like God doesn't know about my situation. He doesn't have a plan for me. Don't live like those, Jew, those Jews did for 90 years with a defeated effort who had given up on really being a people again. In the name of Jesus, you are on his radar. I'm on his radar. Afghanistan is on his radar. Alpharetta is on his radar if the people of God would begin to live like the people of God, knowing we may have walls that are broken down, but by the name of Jesus, we take a thought. We are not going to live defeated. We're not going to live insecure, filled with fear, anxiety, as if God doesn't know what has happened. God knows the infinite detail of what's going to happen this week and the week after that. And we're on his radar and he has a plan. There will be walls that will be built. We will be the people of God. He will be glorified in the earth. His glory will cover the earth as the seas. Second thing, they had to learn to fight spiritually and you're going to have to as well. They had to learn to, to defend themselves while they were worshiping. You understand that? They had to learn to fight while they were worshiping. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10 and 19. We see their arch nemesis, their, their demons. They're named Sanballat. That doesn't even sound like a 
saved person you want living next door, does it? Sounds demonic. He was a Samaritan leader. Achmed Empire of Iran and Tobiah who was squatting in the temple using the storerooms. You understand? So we've got a neighboring outsider, a leader going, hey, while those Jews are over in Babylon, I'm going to squat and I'm going to use that storage room. We're going to do business out of the temple. <sighs> Picture that. The temple built for God to worship him we have an outsider doing business out of that. And so when Nehemiah comes, there's two neighboring leaders that are going to get displaced. Their system is going to get messed up. So no wonder there's some warfare, but that's what happens. The Bible says in those two verses, when Sanballat, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed. Have you ever seen the devil very much disturbed over you? Nod your head this way. Some of you are afraid to. He might be watching. I don't want to upset him anymore. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Verse 19, but when Sambalat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. Brothers and sisters, one of the beauties about COVID is the body of Christ is waking up to the fact that Warfare, spiritual warfare is real. This is an away game. We live in a fallen planet, but we are overcomers. We win in the end, but there is a battle. We even see it, Revelation chapter 12. If you've never seen this, do you know that John the Revelator says that as soon as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Satan, the dragon, came and immediately was trying to take him out. And hundreds of little Jewish baby boys were slaughtered because they wanted to, they were trying to get the Messiah. There's warfare over the place of destiny and purpose for us. There's warfare over it. Some of you even right now, you're feeling it. Some of you right now, there is, there, there's an, I need, there's a, I need to check my, Who's texting? What's happening on Facebook? When I start preaching this stuff, and I don't mean to call anybody out, but hear me. As soon as I preach this stuff, there are people that I got to go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm, honey, I'm, I've got, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over that. May the people who need to hear, hear exactly what God wants to tell them so that they can reign in life. Come on, how many of you come into agreement? We take authority that this will be more than just another Sunday morning at restoration. Ephesians 6 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor. Say full armor. Full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What's the next verse say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, say it, put on the full, say full armor, full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. We wrestle not against each other or anyone else. It's not Humans, people who walk on two feet, we wrestle against principalities, wicked strategies in the heavenlies. In the name of Jesus, though, we wrestle. 
One guy said, yeah, the Ephesians 6 passage, we wrestle not. That could describe much of the Western church. You're right, we're not going to wrestle. No, we wrestle not against each other. We wrestle against the enemy. And the Bible says that we are overcomers through the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. But we wrestle. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down because I'm, I'm about to go in overdrive. I'm, I'm feeling it up here this morning. In the name of Jesus, if the, if the church could understand the battle is real. It's sitting like just cowboys and Indians. The battle is real. And if the church could understand, it's real. And we are victorious. And we have authority. We see in Nehemiah, old Sanballat and Tobiah, they go away once, they come back. They go away again, they come back. They keep coming back, just like the enemy. Chapter 4, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifice? Are they going to worship? Are they going to gather back again in the temple? I think not. Whatever. <laughs> Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the, those heaps of rubble? You hear the, just the sinister evil. And that, that's how the enemy comes. To ridicule. You're crazy to even think you can live again after that marriage. He comes to defeat us. Nehemiah verse 6 through 9, chapter 4. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. We're making progress. For the people worked with all their heart. That's key right there. We wrestle. Wrestling is a contact sport. It's not checkers or chess. I didn't like wrestling because I didn't like in middle school and high school having Speedos on and, and putting my body up against another guy. You know what I mean? I know that's TMI and the pictures you're seeing, but it's real. That's why I'm just sorry. I'm not doing that. But here, it's real. With all their heart, God help us recover and sanctify our minds again. <laughs> Spiritual warfare is uglier than that. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jews and Wall had gone ahead and that gaps we're being closed. I love that progress, progress, progress. They were very angry. The closer you get to the end zone, the red zone, the enemy brings out his best. Some of you are, listen, some of you, your children, your family is in the red zone going the right way and the enemy's using his greatest, fiercest tactics against you. But you gotta do what Nehemiah, we, got, we started closing in the holes in the wall. We got it halfway and they were incensed and they came after us. What did we do? We learned to work with one hand and to pray with the other hand. Look what it says right here. They all plotted together, verse eight, to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. There's so much I want to preach through, but I'm not going to. I just pray you get it. The next verse is verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand 
and held a weapon in the other. Oh, I wish I had five minutes to talk about worship and work. Worship and work. You seldom get to go on a Bethmore Mediterranean cruise and just receive it all. Y'all know what I mean? You know, you seldom get to go to Bermuda and spend the weekend with uh, Joyce Myers. You know, before you get your flight out of Atlanta, all hell breaks loose on you. Everybody picking up what I'm putting down. Y'all know, so I don't have to illustrate. Everybody know? Verse 21. So we continued. I love it. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. You're talking about committed, all their heart. These guys didn't change clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Why do I try this? Preach an hour-long sermon in 30 minutes. Do you see the picture? It's relentless. Even when we go for a drink of water, we got to be prepared to stand against the enemy and what he's trying to do. When we go to the bathroom, we got to be praying in the Spirit everywhere we go. So we decided we're not even, we don't have time to change clothes. We're going to stay on guard. So Pastor Chuck... All right, spiritual warfare is real. I admit it. How do do I fight spiritually? Get ready for this. The first thing you need to do is the biggest thing, and that is realize you wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not people. How many of you, when you discovered that your wife was not the devil, that that was a real breakthrough? When you discovered your husband, he loves you, He's not acting that way because he is the devil. He just, the devil's using him. Anybody have a husband that the devil sometimes uses? But if you rise up to fight him as if he's the devil, all hell breaks loose, and this is what keeps people exiled in Babylon away from a a, a promised land marriage. Number one, realize your your battle is not against people. That's all. Do that. And you're more than halfway there. The second thing that you need to do, be in church on Wednesday nights at Restoration Church at 7 p.m. in this room. And here's someone in their 80s, her husband just turned 90, who have counseled and taught this stuff for for 40 plus years. Talk about spiritual warfare in the name of Jesus. And you know, I just sometimes I feel that North Atlanta sophisticated spirit come up in here and and i just i'm gonna i'm gonna just confront it this morning you know there's a tendency for churches like us out here in the suburbs to go and y'all are a little hardcore aren't you you're a little y'all get amped up you're a little high octane aren't you i'm not gonna say what i want to say Heck yeah, we are. This is eternity. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell that's at stake here. This isn't, well, what what are we going to do on the weekends? What are we going to do on Sunday morning? Well, let's go to church. (laughs) And then we'll go go play 
our alpha match. Let's schedule it for late in the afternoon. And then we'll, we'll get the kids. We'll go to the park and we'll play a little soccer. You know, that whole, do y'all hear what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm doing this because sometimes you guys won't go there with me in the spirit until I get all animated up here. There, if I write, what's the guy who wrote Piercing the Darkness? Peretti. Frank, if our eyes could be opened to see in the realm of the spirit right now, our worship, there would have been people with their shoes off, people kneeled down, people people with tears because we would be going in the name of Jesus, what's going on over in the spirit realm for our children, our community, our nation, just our nation alone. If we could see what, and it's not flesh and blood, we would be so amped up going what are those verses again, Pastor Chuck? We are more than conquerors. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say we're conquerors. We don't struggle. We don't, we're not in a battle that we might win. We are in a battle that we are already victorious if we will fight it. In the name of Jesus. We have more passion for SEC football. And it's not even close. We're more committed to keeping up on the batting average of the Braves. Most of us could quote, many of us men could tell, we watch CNN over and over and over and over to where we could tell them what they're about to say. Deliver us from all that stuff. God, send a church that's ready and hungry for revival. Raise up men who have a backbone, who will operate in faith, Stand on the word of God, full of his spirit, not afraid of any demon or devil in hell or strategy from hell in the name of Jesus. Number three, I've got to hurry and I'm going to. Each family has ownership in the rebuilding. Um, I'm going I'm to just say this real quick. Do you know, chapter three, it says over and over, time and again, it says this, and next to him, was so-and-so, and next to him was so-and-so, and next to him was the family so-and-so, and next to them was so-and-so, and, and on, they're shoulder to shoulder, and Nehemiah does something that's brilliant, and it's the equivalent of this. Everybody look. So we have this wall, and Nehemiah says, we're going to put everybody's houses out on the perimeter to where part of your house is the wall. And so when you build your living room and your powder room and your butler's pantry, you can just put up your sheetrock. No, no need to soundproof it. We're good. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, drop ceilings will be fine. Oh, that's a cute chandelier. Isn't that cute? And uh, over here, honey, don't bring any of that stuff. This is the this is the outside wall to protect us. And every family had to do their part. They were in covenant. And if there was a weak place in the wall, they were all vulnerable. Oh. The, there are 59 one another's in the Old Testament. When I tell you, listen to me, I'm, I'm, I can't say this like I feel it, but I feel it. When I tell you we're not building a, 
a crowd or a church, as most people understand church. I'm serious on that. We're building a family. Some of you, I've heard that it's funny how certain words get used often to describe our church by new people. And some of you have said, it's just so nostalgic. And I, I count that as a great compliment. Like one of you, one of the guys that moved from California, he's, he said, I call my friends and I go, we have a, a church dinner on Wednesday nights like we did growing up. It feels like it did in the 70s and the 80s. And we're undeniably, proudfully old school. I like nostalgia. How many of you know 2021 could use a little more nostalgia, the right kind of nostalgia? And when we talk about family, let, let me say to you, in two weeks, the, the student retreat, um, please don't let your children, your middle schoolers and high schoolers miss the Labor Day back to school fall retreat. Please don't. If you need help, finances, please get them there. October 22nd and 23rd, the men's retreat. We're not going away to, you know, lower our, handic our golf handicap. We're getting together as men of God. And, and I would encourage you women, help us get your husband there. And I've told the men in the earlier service, do whatever you have to, give your wife the weekend off before or promise one after. But I encourage you wives, negotiate for one before because you may not get the one after, you know what I'm saying? But let's work together. So I think the women's men, the night of worship is the week before. Men, do not let your wife miss that night of worship because you don't have a babysitter. You do that. Let's come together. Are y'all picking up one? Are you understanding the importance of, of family, of togetherness? Christianity was meant to be experienced together. It's a team sport, not a solo sport. Listen, a friend of mine this week, Scott Shepard, in fact, told me of a conversation he had on Thursday with a, a well-known mega church pastor, not in this state. I don't want you to think it's uh, Candace's cousin, Jensen Franklin. But it's another pastor that he was asked, and if I mentioned his name, 90% of you would know him in our nation. He was asked, what have you learned post-COVID about ministry? And he said this, I've learned that we built in our church a congregation. I mean, an audience, not a congregation. We built an audience, a crowd, but not a family. And now we have neither. May God connect us in covenant. May we build a wall and help each other and stand together against the work of the enemy. Point number four, and lastly, is this. Oh, there's so much good stuff we're skipping over. Just trust me. You need to understand the importance of gates. What do gates do? Look here. They let people in and they let people out. And what good are walls if you don't have any gates? They're not any good. Look at this picture here at the time of Nehemiah when he comes in. You got the fish gate, the sheep gate, the old gate, the inspection gate, 
the East Gate, Horse Gate, the Richard Nixon Gate, the Fountain Gate, the Dung Gate, the Valley Gate. And Noah's, I mean, uh, uh, Nehemiah's report is early on, the, the gates have been burned. Look at me. For you to be able to fulfill the destiny, to live the life the Lord has pro- uh, promised you, purposed you for, you've got to learn to close gates and open gates. Some of you just simply, you've let some stuff in that you've got to close that gate and you've got to get it out. And there's some things on the outside that you need to get on the inside. It's interesting that down here at the bottom, you've got the dung gate and the fountain gate. The fountain gate is where they went out It was closest to the Kidron Valley and they were able to get water and bring it in. John 15, we see the picture of water is the word. You've got to open the gate to the word to come in. And then it's, it's, it's funny that it's right next to the dung gate. Some of you millennials are going, what is dung? The newer versions call it refuse. Dung is trash that Look, look, look. If you don't get it out, it will kill people. It's also human waste, like outdoor facilities. And if you don't get that outside where the people live, it can kill people. There's stuff that if you, listen, there's things in your soul level, your mind, that You've got to get it out. And you've got to get the word in so that you can feel right, make better decisions, live according to the Holy Spirit and what he's called you to be and to do. Anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? I'm closing right here and I'm going to ask you this. I want to ask everybody in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. Those of you who heard the first thing that I shared And it spoke to you. Holy Spirit is hovering over you. You're on his radar. How many of you that spoke to? And I I want you to stand. If if you felt God spoke to you about that, stand to your feet. When you heard and were reminded that you're on his radar. Secondly, I want to ask those of you who heard about spiritual warfare. And you go, that's where I am right now. If God spoke to you through spiritual warfare, I want you to stand. Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thirdly, those of you who hear the part about family and, and, and doing your part, getting your wall right, if God spoke to you on that, I want you to stand in the name of Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Fourthly and lastly, You hear God speaking to you, not Pastor Chuck. When we talk about gates, there's certain things you've got to close off, certain things you've got to open up to. If you hear God speaking to you about gates, I want you to stand in the name of Jesus. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Now, the rest of you who were asleep during this sermon, I want you to stand with us too. Just somehow God didn't speak to you. I want you to just stand. And I want you to commit in the name of Jesus 
We're going to be people that live in the promised land. You hear me? We're going to be people that live in the promised land. Why? Because the consolation of God, the the Holy Spirit is empowering us. We're going to be people who are victorious in warfare. We're going to be people who raise families that come what may, our children are going to serve the Lord in the name of Jesus. We're going to be people that understand the power of gates. If you're here this morning standing and God has spoken to you, I want you to just lift your hands. If I could, I would anoint every person with oil today, but I can't. So Father, in the name of Jesus, in this crazy hour in our world, I speak life. I speak life. We speak hope. We speak faith. In the, we come against spiritual lethargy. We come against that suburban mindset that says, oh, this will level off eventually and we'll get back to normal. We come against all of those lies of the enemy and we pray, Father, that whatever this week holds, we didn't know what was going to happen last week, even on Sunday last week in Afghan, we don't know what this week holds, but we know this, you have sent your spirit to us to live in us that you might live and you might use us for your glory and for your purposes. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Just keep your hands lifted. There are people I'm made aware of in our church who you've had all you can take and God has spoken to you and you're running for political office. There are people in our church family now running for national offices, um, local offices, school boards. In the name of Jesus, it's time to stand up. We're going to close some gates. We're going to open some gates and declare the word of the Lord over our nation. We're going to be the people of God that it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We are going to reclaim our inheritance in the name of Jesus. We're going to take up a spiritually militant mindset and say, we don't wrestle against people, politicians, or political parties. We know who our adversary is. He has already been defeated. He is blowing hot air and he's talking smack, but he's already defeated. And so we block it from our minds and we will let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our children, as for me and my house, come on, say it with me. As for me and my house, you need to say it one more time. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We praise you, Father. Fresh oil, fresh anointing. As we talked about last week, Lord, not just enough for our lamp, but more oil for when our lamp burns out, that we'll be able to pour more in it, that we'll be ready at the midnight hour for the bridegroom that comes and returns. In the strong, mighty name of Jesus, we pray. In the strong, mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Look at me. I got to tell you one more time. You know, I'm, again, I've, every once in a while, I feel this suburban mentality go, man, y'all talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. We do. You know, and I basically get prayed to, I paid to say the same thing every week. You got to learn to worship, learn to pray, read the word, stay full of the Spirit, and you're good. How many even know I say that every week? Just different ways I say the same thing. And some of y'all still haven't heard me. You're like, 
my ways out. Did you know ways you can turn the voice off? That was like the best discovery I ever discovered. Um, my voice I chose is a British male accent. Candace has her own voice. Do you know you can record your voice and every direction you get is from your voice? I guess Candace doesn't trust me. I tried to put my voice on her. She wouldn't let me. But my Waze app, it just, it, tell, it overtells you, it says. In one mile, you would turn right, it's a stop sign. And, and then again, in three quarters of a mile, as if you forgot, you will turn right. And I have, sometimes it interrupts itself. In one quarter, in 250, in, you're there, turn right. I'm like, enough already. And some of y'all are like, that's how the Holy Spirit is. Do you know the Holy Spirit goes, ding, 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 ding. You missed it. But I still love you. Just admit it, you missed it. Go back. Now you're not turning right, you're turning left because you passed it. Anybody ever had the Holy Spirit that person be that personal and that practical to you? Come on, hold your hand up. Um, and some of y'all are like, I, I like you, Pastor Chuck, and I like the energy, as some of y'all said, at your church. But Holy Spirit, I, and you're afraid of the Holy You think the Holy Spirit just came to make you Pentecostal and passionate. Some of y'all are like, I, I just, I'm afraid I'm going to be in Walmart and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me and give me a word of knowledge. And I'm going to go to the microphone and say, attention, Walmart shoppers, thus saith the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit's not going to do that. First of all, the Holy Spirit's going to keep you from going into Walmart. Can I get a witness? Hey, please hear me. Holy Spirit is so personal and practical. He'll make your marriage better, make you a better parent, a better employee, a better Christian. You'll get to live in the promised land longer in the name of Jesus. Now, how many of you say, all right, I'll take, I'll sign up for a little bit more of Holy Spirit, but I ain't going to Walmart, Pastor Chuck. Well, praise the Lord. You're delivered and set free from Walmart. Y'all out there? So Father, in the name of Jesus, in this season, we thank you that your word addresses all of our situations. In 2021, while the world looks like it's a dumpster fire, we will be a Holy Ghost fire. We will be the people of God looking and believing you for revival in the name of Jesus, we pray. And so over you, brothers and sisters, I say, in the name of Jesus, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace in his name, I pray. If you receive it this morning, just declare, I receive it from the Lord, from the Lord in Jesus' name. Now go change the world this week. Have a great afternoon. I love you. God bless you.